It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. It's one o'clock here live. If you're listening after the fact, welcome anyways. And as some of you may have realized I was out for a few weeks. I did a little bit of travel in the United States, a little bit of travel internationally and took a little break. And if you haven't had your post-pandemic vacation yet or post-pandemic break, I highly suggest you do it. I never valued vacation or going out to dinner in a foreign country so much of my life as I, I did here post-pandemic. So uh, even though maybe post-pandemic isn't even the right word, there's still a lot of places reeling and dealing with all of this. But if you're able to travel and get out there, I highly suggest you do it. So I'm happy to be back and here to have fantastic conversations as we try to do every week with two amazing people that are highly talented themselves, have a lot to say about talent and how we manage talent, deal with talent and culture and all the amazing things that I love to talk about on a regular basis. And we've had so many amazing people talking about their stories, giving us advice, that a lot of that has gone into my last two books. So a lot of you may know I did the first book a few years ago. It was a bestseller called The Power of Company Culture. But now we have a new one and it's come out. And I'm so happy to say that thank you all for supporting me and buying the book and making that one a bestseller. It's called Remote Work with my co-author, Kim Shepard. You can find it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books online. Uh, you're sure to find it. Or if you can't find it, you know how to get a hold of me. Find me on my website and I'll be happy to direct you to the right place. So, um, you know, there's, again, so many stories, so much to talk about. And company culture really dominated the conversation for us here on the Talent Talk Radio Show for years. And then, of course, remote work came in and just obliterated that. For the last year and a half or so, we've just been remote work, remote work. And now it feels like we're shifting a little bit, kind of getting back to, okay, remote work's there. That's cool. Uh, we can continue to have that be a part of our conversation, but we can't forget about how to be good leaders, how to be uh, good companies, how to have great culture. And so uh, I think we're going to continue to have a balance here. So we'll, we'll see what our guests today want to talk about and focus on. But uh, as I mentioned, we are live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's, of course, I'm on vacation. Uh, and most of you get us, though, on the podcast. So we've got over 10,000 of you a day downloading you know, shows on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. Huge thank you to the millions of downloads we're getting every year from thoughtful listeners like yourself. Please feel free to subscribe so you never miss a show wherever you listen to your podcast. Share it with your friends, your coworkers. Uh, we'd love to have the audience grow. And most importantly, once you're here, we'd love for you to be a part of the conversation. So if you hear something you want to comment on, you want to talk about, 
We are live tweeting this on Twitter. So at people G2, or you can follow the hashtag talent talk and my social media coordinator, Angela will sort of keep track of that. She feeds the best one-liners, the best information, book links, profile links, whatever's important for you to be able to grab there. Uh, so you don't have to write it down. And if you have a question, she even tries to feed those in live. So sometimes we get live questions on the show, which is a lot of fun. All right. My guests today are two of the hottest new authors uh, from a prestigious Harvard Business School. So my first guest will be Sandra Sutcher, professor of management practices at Harvard Business School. And then, so it was sort of a, a Harvard show this week and followed by fellow Harvard Business School professor, uh, Ram Sharan. Hopefully I've said that one correctly. But let's go ahead and get started. Bring in my first guest, Sandra. Welcome to the Talent Talk radio show. And I really appreciate you being here. Well, thanks so much. I'm glad, glad to be here. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you? You know, what what is it you focus on? What's your work all about? What are you doing at Harvard? And of course, I know you're the chairwoman of the Better Business Bureau and you're author of a new book called The Power of Trust. So you know, maybe give us the the ten cent tour here to a probably a long life of of incredible accomplishments. Uh, well, I'll let your listeners judge whether that part's true. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so let's think. The last twenty years, I've been at Harvard Business School. Uh, I'm a professor of management practice. That means I came from industry. So I spent twenty years before that. I was twelve years at Fidelity Investments uh, as their chief quality officer, and before that. I spent uh, 10 years in fashion retailing. So I love business, I love organizations, uh, and I care enormously about helping people and organizations get better at what they do. So I could summarize my work as being all around that. You know, that's why this show is is here. We want to talk about those things and talk about how we can, you know, help people get better. And I think there's a lot of people out there like myself that want to grab a smart person like yourself and say, just tell me the secrets. What do I need to do? What do you think? And I, that way I can go do it and be an awesome leader, be an awesome manager or whatever that may be. Maybe we can sort of t start with the topic of trusted leadership. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of what has been floating out there in the interwebs lately is, a, is really, in my opinion, about trust. First, it was, can we trust them to work? Now, can we trust them, you know, to manage this hybrid thing? Can we... There's always this idea of trust. So what does trusted leadership look like in today's, you know, sort of modern evolving uh, landscape of work look like to you? So here, here's an example uh, of a trusted, a leader who I think earned trust by the way he acted. So uh, this is a story about Dave Cote uh, when he was the CEO of Honeywell. Uh, and uh, Dave Cote managed uh, uh, Honeywell through the terrible uh, Great Recession that we had. Uh, and he decided that rather than lay people off, he was going to use furloughs. Uh, and he did that based on, you know, two decades at GE and seeing the damage that layoffs do inside corporations, mm -hmm. uh, as well as to the individuals involved. He said, that's not going to help us uh, this time around. And so he decided, uh, he asked basically people inside the organization to take between one to five weeks of unpaid leave. Uh, and he did that because he needed to reduce the the line item of called labor uh, right. at the time when his revenues were going down. Uh, and what he did uh, that was so impressive, he did two things. I'll talk about uh, the first thing that he did is he was great at balancing interests of competing groups. 
So when he did this, he knew that his shareholders would have preferred that he took a layoff. It's fast, it looks easy, uh, and you get an immediate hit to the bottom line. He also knew that given a choice, his employees would have just as soon he forget about shareholders and say, look, business is tough. Why should we worry about their interests? Uh, and what he did is he prioritized customers first. And he said, the one group I'm really going to take care of during the recession is customers. And so I'm going to make good on every promise I made, every new product that we said we we're going to come out with, we're still going to do. And in order to do that, that's what led him to furloughs. It's like you can't make that kind of progress in your company by having people disappear who are part of engineering teams who make things happen. Uh, so he does this. Uh, and uh, and what he did that was so impressive, in addition to sort of helping everyone understand this is what we're doing, this is the plan, here's how I'm prioritizing things, and I think it's going to be better for us in the long run. Uh, so one leadership lesson right there is this art of balancing interests. Uh, and if there's anything that's a heart of managing trust, uh, it's that you have competing interests of stakeholders and you have to figure out, well, what am I going to do about that? Right. I can't just sort of go down one path and say, I'm all for the customer and forget about everybody else. So he balances these interests. The other thing he does uh, is he decides not to take a bonus. So you can count on the fingers of one hand uh, the number of leaders during the Great Recession who didn't take a bonus. Uh, and he was very clear. Uh, he came to HBS to talk to our students because uh, I wrote a case about this. And, and he said it just wasn't fair. You know, if he was asking people to give up one week, five weeks of pay, he said, you know, it's not going to hurt me as much as it hurts them. But at least I'm going to show that I'm in this. And because he did this, and this is the second leadership lesson, his direct reports all then didn't take a bonus as well. So, you know, you sort of said in all of that that he put the client first. And really what I heard from you was that he put his employees first. And that in turn gave incredible value to his clients. But, you know, by setting a good example, by not taking money out of the system that clearly kept, I mean, him not taking a bonus kept somebody or multiple people employed, right? Yeah. And, and what incredible trust that creates to show your employees, look, we want to keep you. We're going to find a way. We all sacrifice. We all take a little off the top. If we all, you know, and then as leaders, we will set the bigger example and not take bonuses and not do things that are going to clearly hurt the company. I mean, Google's in the news right now for their work from home stuff. And here they were saying, you know, don't, you can't have work from home. And one of the biggest managers who was against it took a job in Australia or something where he's working from home now. Right. So like, there's this totally, you know, what I don't do what I say, not what I do. And like, you know, you right. kind of have this disconnect. And I think one of their first really big tests publicly of, and, and how they're going to implement mm -hmm. things. But I know when I uh, made the shift for my company, it was really hard to do. But I ultimately realized what I was doing was putting my my um, employees first. And I stopped worrying about clients and I stopped worrying about the bottom line. I stopped worrying about products and services. And it was just, how can I make things better for my company? How can we survive this recession? This was 2009, you know, and and that made all the difference in the world. And I just sort of like never changed that tune. And so do you, do you think that's a common theme among, among you know, successful CEOs or is that, Maybe that's not the only way for a CEO to be successful. So it's not the only way. 
you know, there are lots of not so great ways that you can be successful if all you care about are financial returns. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so, but I think that what we found as I've studied trust over time uh, is that trust is built from the inside out. Every company that got good at trust, and usually it's because for a while they weren't so good, uh, actually worked the process of regaining trust from inside the organization, starting with their employees. And that's what allowed them to be successful in the marketplace. So I think you're exactly right that this notion that employees are actually the core of it, and it makes sense. I mean, all the value that's created by companies is created by the employees who work there and right. stop. Right. So if we sort of, that was around trusted leadership, and and then we can maybe look at this through another lens is because you started to bring this up already was how do how do people decide they're going to trust the company? And I guess that could be employees, that can be customers, that could be the public at large. Sounds like you got to set a good example. You got to do what you say you're going to do. But I mean, wh what else sort of goes into that to, I guess, for people to help trust an organization? Right. So the first thing to understand is is what is trust. So trust is vulnerability. Trust is a relationship uh, in which I'm counting on Chris uh, to lead a good interview, to not sandbag me with questions that I'm not equipped to answer. Right. Uh, and so trust works like this. Uh, I'm reliant on you to do certain things, and they're quite specific. Uh, and so we usually think of trust as like this glue that holds us all together. Uh, it's actually quite specific and limited, uh, which makes it easier, by the way, to get your arms around. Uh, but there are there is a pattern to why people trust companies. And let me use Uber as an example uh, of how this pattern works. There are four elements that matter to people when they decide whether to trust a company. Uh, the first is competence. So no one in their right mind is going to trust you uh, as a company if you're not good at doing the thing you say you're going to do. Right. And that is the foundation of trust. And honestly, if you don't have that, it's game over. Uh, but if that were all that mattered, we'd all love Uber, right? Because they are so good at getting us from point A to point B. But there are a lot of people who have second thoughts about Uber, similar to the way people feel right now about Amazon. Uh, and the reason that they do has to do with how they act in these other areas. So the first area is like their motives. And motives matter. And by motives, I mean, why do people do the things they do? And the way that we see that is by we see whose interests they protect. So in 2013, an Uber driver in San Francisco uh, ran into a family of four. And when he did this, he killed a six-year-old girl, injured her mother and brother. Uh, and of course, the family sued. And when Uber went to court, what they claimed was that the time that the driver uh, hit these people, he was not an employee because he didn't have a passenger in his car and he hadn't accepted his next ride. So most people would say, okay, whose interest is Uber standing up for there? It's Uber. Throw the employee under the bus, pay no attention to the harm that's been done to the family. So motives matter, and we can tell that by the interest that people protect. Uh, the next thing that matters is, are, is the company fair? Right? And fairness matters a huge amount. Uh, and so in one year, in 2013, 2015, uh, Uber asked its drivers 
to book and then cancel 5,000 rides on Lyft. Now, the name of the game in ride hailing is showing up on time. You cannot be competitive if you can't do that. And what Uber was doing was an unfair way of trying to sandbag and undermine his competition, getting at the very thing that people count on it for. <clears throat> so, so being fair matters. Uh, and the last thing that matters is just the impact of the company's actions, right? And this is not your purpose, the grand things that you say. This is, I can see it with my own eyes. I get what you're doing and you don't need to tell me what it is. I know what you're doing. And I expect you to take responsibility for the things that you, uh, the ways that you impact people's lives. So uh, in 2017, there was a reliability engineer named Susan Fowler. Uh, she wrote a blog post about how awful a place Uber was to work if you're a woman. Uh, this blog post went viral uh, and she ended up leaving, not surprisingly, a few years later. In the two years that she was there, female engineers went from 25% of the total in her division to 6%. Now, Uber didn't intend for that to happen, but the impact of Uber's culture was such that it was so damaging to be a woman there that people voluntarily left. So when you ask on what basis do we trust, uh, it's competence and then it's motives and it's means and it's impact. And we can see this because Uber started out with roughly 90% share market and ride hailing, and now they're down to about 68%. And Lyft has all the rest. Right. That's because all they have to do is say, I am not Uber. We're <laughs> already there. Well, you bring up well, a good point because I, you know, sort of don't have a great opinion of Uber. I know, to your point, I know that they will they have a great app. I know they will pick me up and get me where I need to go. I can trust the service, right? But I know, I know I don't like the company and its deeds. And so I will choose Lyft first if I can get a Lyft and if I can, can do that. And if I can, I will choose them. But if I can't, then, of course, I will use Uber because I, I can trust its reliability. Right. Um, and I guess and that's a hard thing for the market to, to deal with, right? I mean, people, I guess, only have so much patience and so much ability to make political statements or to make a buyer's statement. When, you know, if you need a car, <laughs> if you're standing on the side of the road, you only have two choices and one of them doesn't, you know, doesn't work. I, you know, Uber's got some protection there. And there's probably a lot that they could do too. I, I know they, ha they have tried and they brought in a couple of different top people. And I don't certainly haven't heard quite the, right. exactly. the rumblings in the last few years than w when they had their biggest issues. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's still that lingering effect, right? You, you think about those things from a trust standpoint. Right, right. And, and that guilt that you're displaying, Chris, that, you know, tell me it's okay for me to use Uber if I can't get a lift. <laughs> you know, th that's like a moral twinge, right? Yeah. There's some part of you that says, God, I hate doing this, but I'm really going to go do it. Uh, and right. that's a very realistic thing. So it's not that, you know, by and large, companies that aren't trusted, they don't go out of business if they're large and well capitalized. Right? Yeah. They just don't. Uh, but what they do is people have second thoughts about doing business with them and they give away share to their competitors uh, and they have a harder time attracting people because people don't want to be associated with them. Uh, and so there are definitely costs and in some cases extreme costs to doing poorly on the trust front. But by and large, it's really it's those of us who are just making these decisions who decide who we trust and who we don't. 
I imagine a lot of these types of concepts and things are inside your book, the, the power of trust. Is there some part of trust that we haven't hit that maybe people don't typically think about that they should be thinking about that, you know, to improve trust with their coworkers, their employees, their, their spouses, their kids, and those types of things? Yeah, so uh, if I were in a company right now, uh, I would try to recover some trust related to COVID. And I'd ask my employees three things. How was your COVID? Uh, how well did we do in managing through this period of time? And what's the one thing we can do to make your life better coming back to work? So that's a very practical thing. It's completely in the trust domain because what you're doing is paying attention to someone else's interests and really trying to act on those interests and to find out what you need to know. Well, most important question, how can people find out more about you, maybe your site, maybe where they can find your book? What's the best way for them to do that? Hopefully they can learn more about you and your incredible work. Uh, well, thank you so much for asking. So there is a website. It's called thepoweroftrustbook.com. Uh, and people can look us up there. The book is available through Amazon and pretty much anybody else you want to buy it from. Uh, and uh, and I love when people, use, so there's a form on the website that says, share your ideas. What's your trust story? So my appeal to people is if you go on the website, fill that out because we want to learn more about how trust works in the real world. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for being a part of the show today and being a fantastic guest. And we really appreciate your insights around trust. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on the show at some point to, to give us more insights and an update on all the great stuff you're doing. And I certainly will look you up the next time I'm in Massachusetts. So well, that'd be great. Oh, I'd like all that. All right. Thanks we'll so right much. back after this quick commercial break and we'll bring in our second guest, uh, Ram Sharan. Great. Thank you. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. John Talk Radio Show, in case you missed my first guest, Sandra Sh uh, Sutcher. Uh, you can listen to her interview and podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your, uh, your podcast. We're happy to have you. Yeah, subscribe and tune in. But uh, let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, Ram Sharan, number one New York Times bestseller and Harvard Business School professor and worldwide expert on business strategy, execution, corporate boards, and building a high-performance organization. Quite an expert on many things. Don't forget we're on uh, Twitter. Uh, follow the uh, hashtag Talent Talk or at PeopleG2, and you can provide comments and uh, find uh, links to the Ram's uh, profile books and everything else. But Ram, welcome to the show today. How are you? Thank you. Good to hear your voice. I'm delighted to be on the show. 
Thank and you. I'm very good today. It's a nice sunny day in Dallas. Fabulous. You're in Dallas. All right. Well, I, I was I was going to say if you're in Massachusetts, who knows what the weather is? But if it's, Dallas, maybe a little more predictable. Yeah, I lived in Massachusetts for ten years. It is weather is very unpredictable. Yes. <laughs> well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? What What did I miss? What's important for us to know about you and the work that you're doing right now? The key point here is that the world is going to be optimistic. Economy will continue to happen. We, the leaders, make a difference. There's no need for any commiseration. Go forward. Lots of opportunities. Lots of hurdles. Leaders define hurdles and leaders solve hurdles. But we are in good spot to go forward. We are overcoming the pandemic. We will overcome it. And we now loosen up our psyche and go forward. So maybe uh, you know, looking over what's happened uh, in the last year, year and a half, I mean, it's been quite a bit of change. I think most of it's pretty fantastic change in allowing for more flexible work and removing some of the, maybe some of the junk, the old ways of working that were there. But in your opinion, what has changed about business today that maybe we could render obsolete or maybe some of the classic strategies of maybe it's become undone a little bit. Is there, is yeah. there a new playbook and a new way of working? Yes. Number one, we did not pay enough attention to employees. This is number one. Not because there's a shortage of talent, but the people in power coming to terms that their leverage is people, empathy. More important, release their energy. Even more important, find a way where they can exercise their dream, build their capabilities. And they can get freedom to do and not have 5,000 layers between the CEO and the person. That is a change. It's happening. And this has been set by people like Amazon, even though Amazon has other problems. But they now have in parts of Amazon only three layers. We have companies like Fidelity Investment, three to four layers. So people have more freedom more ability to exercise their energy and their creativity. You know, the nation is built by talent. Nation is built by leaders. Leaders find technology, develop technology, develop and deploy technology. So leaders and talent, this is a big change from the pandemic. And the second big change is that the application of digitization, application of algorithms, artificial intelligence, machine learning is no longer an option. And it is commoditized. Most of these tools are 100 years old. So people need to get on with it. Those who don't digitize, they will die. Those yeah. who digitize and do it in time, say a huge prosperity. That's the second major one. Third major one is that if you don't care for a customer, you won't live. You've got to be obsessed with customer in a proper way. Individual customer. For 100 years, we have mass production, mass marketing. Amazon clearly showed that you and I are now each individual customer. They have data on us. They know our peculiarities. They predict our own needs. 
algorithms permit that. And the last one is the companies have now come to realize in the case of pandemic, particularly COVID-19 vaccines, US competitors collaborate, use data. What used to take eight years is now one year. I see one company that has done a drug development in three years because they share data. Mm -hmm. So these are very major, what I call the, the real moments in history that is going to change for the better. And that's where we need to go. Yeah. And, you know, I've noticed for years, a lot of, uh, a lot of countries where the perspective on work was very different for the average worker. I mean, their, their focus was, yes, they wanted a good job. They wanted to do well, but their focus was on a balanced and happy life overall. Whereas I think America, the general perspective for American workers was, you know, happiness at work, overworking, right? And I'm wondering, do you, you seeing maybe a shift by the employee uh, where they're starting to realize maybe balance can be here? Maybe if I have fl some flexible work, if I'm not sitting in traffic for two hours every day, uh, I'm not sitting in a cubicle farm, you know, with someone standing over my shoulder and watching me. Do you think there might be some adjustments here to yeah, the balance I, of work? Yeah, I, I say to you that company senior people must come to terms that the personal supervision is dead. Coaching is in place. That's different. And that the algorithms and data will do the self-supervision. Team themselves. So those who are in command and control, they will be out of their jobs. Coaching, resource allocation, setting KPIs, people managing themselves in teams. That is going to be, and that is happening now, the order of the day. Because the, the data, you make it transparent, people are responsible, and with the data, they will adapt themselves as they go forward. Well, you mentioned coaching, and I know you do some advising for some of the world's top CEOs. And you also mentioned Amazon and other sort of digital giants who kind of have an upper, you know, a leg up here in, in understanding vast amounts of data on a very individual level and a very aggregate level. So Correct. How, Correct. how does that average CEO, right, an average company, how do they go out there and compete in today's market against these giants? Yeah, it's a very great question. And here we should say this. You can have a medium-sized company, average company. First thing is get rid of the bias that this digitization is very expensive. I have at least a half a dozen companies who will take your business and they will do the digitization bite sizes. I can name them. One company is Autometric, another is UST Global. There is a Fractal, there's a ThoughtWorks. These are small companies, just like other outsourcing companies. They will come with you, take your data, create the harmony, create dashboards, and they will be less than half million dollars to see some results. So do that because they are now commoditized. They are easily available. You focus on the customer, just the customer. And then focus, work backwards. Do you have the right money-making model? Do you have the right products? Do you have the right pricing? Do you have agility to change prices for the customer? Do you deliver it right? That's your job. You know you well. 
but you use this digitization machine learning as a tool, just like you build a building. They use tools. That's what you need to do. And there are plenty of these companies. You look into Yellow Pages, so to speak, or Google. They are there, or you can give them my email, and I can tell them where they are. Go and talk to them. And, and then just take them an assignment for six weeks. Test them. Very low amount of money. That's how the average person will compete. Why? Because the average company still has a human touch with the customer, local customer. The yeah, second really... part, average companies supply to large companies like Walmart. You are needed. So you've got to hook with the Walmarts. They want it. They're not going to absorb you. A very large part of our mid-sized companies are suppliers. A large mm. part is the local touch. They know names of the local customer by face. Never forget it. See, the customer obsession is 1,000 years old. Now we're using the numbers and algorithms, but the local grocer, local retailer has the human touch, has a trust. And that's important. Yeah, it is. It is. And so we're going to have that. I, and I'm wondering, do you think, you know, what does sort of the future look like for someone like Walmart versus maybe Amazon? And then to your point, when these smaller producers, they can go in and get their digital game up, right, and come in and compete. Uh, certainly there's a lot of labor-related issues with both of those organizations. Uh, and so I'm wondering what you think that, how, how will that look for them in the next five or 10 years? Yeah. Large companies have to come to terms that they have to stop using the word labor. They are all human beings. Yeah. People have to understand that a board can fire a CEO, CEO is an employee. They have to understand active shareholders can get a board fired, they are employees. It happened in the case of Darton. It happened in the case of Railroad in Canada. So we are all employees. This, this caste system must change. We have inequality. First, we've got to reduce inequality in companies. That's big. I mean, we still have just recently Amazon drivers pooping in plastic bags because they didn't have enough time, right? They weren't even given. They were such, they were managed so tightly, they had no time to use the restroom, right? Well, we're not some thinking about things, human beings then. Some of those things will be in the open. Yeah. And whatever the truth is, which I don't know, but that truth cannot be hidden. And yeah. people have to develop that. And we say, for example, that if you make that really better, it doesn't mean it costs you more. Well, it they may cost to, oh, you yeah. more, but... Yeah, I want you to know, <laughs> if you do these things right, they don't cost you more, they may even cost you less. Yeah. It has been shown through many experiments because the human energy is the driver of productivity. Yeah, and there's so many important skills uh, that I think we really want employees to have. And I'm hoping as, as this remote work revolution sort of shifts and begins to help a lot of people change where they work, how they work, one of the most important skills that I'm uh, sort of seeing that's really, really fundamental is imagination. Uh, why do you think imagination is such an important skill for, for people in, you know, competing in today's market? Yeah, remember the imagination 
is something you can develop. And that is, it's a well-known phenomena. You know, I go to my town, my eighth grade classmate sits on the ground, he sells peanuts in a bag. He's as bright, I think, as I am, but he didn't get the chance I did. And that is knowledge. If you collect knowledge, daily reading, absorbing it, and connect it, your imagination will increase. Now, if you can't have any knowledge, no data, no information, your imagination is very limited. So America used to have that in the Midwest when I came to America. They used to get books and have book sessions. Now you don't need that. You have Google. You look at the Google, anything you want, 90% you will get the answers. So for imagination, every employee, regardless of the rank, must know what's happening on the outside daily. Customers, technology, whatever interests you, arts, science, whatever, your imagination will increase. Being exposed to new ideas, being exposed to knowledge, but I think also having that opportunity to reflect on it, right? To slow down. Uh, you will do that. It. You will yeah. do that. You know, people don't realize this. A 20-minute walk, you know, Steve Jobs used to talk to people and walk. Yeah. I had a client CEO, and I used to spend a whole day walking on the Jacksonville Beach. And we did a lot of great thinking. So and that's the physical part that. too, right? That moving is actually moving. something connected to that. Yeah. yeah. But also get a buddy to talk to. You don't have to have a buddy physically there. You find somebody somewhere, talk to half an hour every day or every week and test ideas. Your imagination will be loosened up. So is there maybe a reason you think companies should spend more time uh, thinking about their maybe say their ecosystem? rather than direct competitors? Do you think we should be looking more inward no, than outward? No, 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 no. That's very, very simple thing. And I learned from these people who were nobodies became billionaires. The secret to them was to know what is happening on the outside. Hmm. So I was one day with the CEO of BlackRock, the largest depositing funds in the world. Sitting next to him, I was lucky. And I said, Larry, Love to learn what you're doing. He said, I don't go to bed until midnight or whenever until I see the latest news around the world. Mm. Think about that. Now, this is his business. I don't do that either until I read the Google in the morning and say, what's happening in the world? Yeah. Start there. Be very practical. And then reflect. What did you notice? What's new? What's changed? Hey, what's happening? What might you need to worry about? Right? And, and then get a buddy to talk to. He said, okay, what did you notice? Yeah, it's very, very important. I've, for years, I've always read the front page of the Wall Street Journal, which is these little tiny snippets of larger articles inside there. So you could get a very quick glance of what's happening. What are you seeing? Right? No, and then no, you can no, dig no, deeper. no. I'll give you a simple one. In the Wall okay. Street Journal, just use the first column on the first page slowly. The upper half of it and say what does it mean to me and is there something i want to get more interested pick up that open the page and learn it yep. don't try to get too much learn something you are interested in depth 
over time you will pick up speed. I began to read that 50 years ago. Now I can read that in seven minutes. Mm -hmm. right. so build that mental capacity, which is knowledge, which is insights, which is new trends. Everyone can do that. So I have many CEOs who did not go to school, who did not go to Harvard. That's how they develop their brain. Many of them went to school at night, the schools we never heard of before. It's that, but it's that process of learning. And I think that's a. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And daily learning was new. I think that's a big uh, key to the guests we have on this show on a regular basis. It's certainly a key for the people we have listening on a regular basis. They are, they tune in here to learn something. Hopefully, even if you just pick up one thing you can learn today, one thing you can exactly. take back to your company. Yeah. So the last week I picked up that there is a solid state battery and the electrolyte is made off of the solid state, not the, the lithium. I said, fine. Mm. So I'm very curious who has it. Bill Gates has invested money in one of the companies. It's very clear to me in less than five years, it will be live. And then he said, okay, if this has really become live, what will be useful to whom? What will happen to the car? That's imagination. Right. And if you want to, then how can I invest or how can I create a company or how can I have employment with what's going to happen in the future where it's going to expand? You got right? it. So, so you go to the Google and say, which companies are there? They're all there. And then say, okay, whom do I call to? You're going to find through LinkedIn the email addresses to write to them. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable what is available today. <laughs> yeah, so many opportunities and yet people feel maybe like, they have less than they used to. They feel like they don't know where to look because I guess maybe it's, it's information overload at times. But I, I think what people should hear from you right now is it's simple. Keep it simple. Get some knowledge. Get some information. Take time Keep to reflect. Keep it simple and have a yeah. daily rhythm. Yeah. Find 30 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. So I stay in the hotels all my life as a hotel. And I see the people at the front desk and I always quiz them. What are you doing? What are you doing? I say, can't you find 30 minutes a day? Yeah. Learn about the hotel management. It's all there in Google. But they're clerks. I say you do a great job because you treat customers with great respect. You have to be interpersonally very good. But you can't make your life just at the front desk. Gotta keep gotta keep expanding, gotta keep moving. Exactly. Yeah. Now I know that uh you often say that companies need a money making model. And not a business model. Can you can you kind of get an example of that or explain that a little bit more for our listeners? Yeah. You see, when you look at a, a street vendor, the largest population of business people is the street vendors in the world. They got no training, no books, mm -hmm. no Googles. They buy merchandise in the morning, usually 5 a.m. They make a decision what is how many apples, how many pears, how many bananas. They take it on their wheelbarrow and they on the on the on the what they call tailor, and they have a beat where they build their brand with the kids that they treat that, and they price it if the if the if the fruit begins to rot in the afternoon they cut the price, but at the end of the day they have to have a cash. So their model is money making model. You buy something for nine dollars, you sell for ten. They know and they have never had a school. You got 10% gross margin. 
They know that, by the way, that terminology across the globe. Mm. In translated into the language locally. I go to these villages and I see that. And so out of that, they do what they need to do during the day. And that's the cash they have to have. So you take a, a large company and they have total sales of General Motors of, let us say, 200 billion, very large. Okay. And then they have a cost for it. And let us say of 200 billion, 200 billion they have roughly, uh, uh, I would say, 160 billion in, in costs. So 40 billion is a gross margin. Now they have to do advertising, they have to do logistics, they have to do this, they have to do that. And so what's left at the bottom line is 10 billion. It's exactly the same logic. Right. More complexity, more items, more government regulations, more accounting complexities. So Amazon, roughly 2020, their total revenue is 400 billion. And they grow 25% per annum. And their gross margin is roughly 40%. They got a hard cash of 160 billion. It's up to them how they want to allocate. Nobody on the planet has that. It's yes. hard cash. That's now, a lot. they're investing most of that in technology, in last mile, in warehouses. So they get 25% growth. That's what I call money-making model in a simple way to articulate. And then say how people do that. So they're investing more than 50 billion in technology this year. Wow. They're going to buy 62 million square feet of warehousing space. Yeah. A business model is a fancy word. We invented in the business schools. A Kirana merchant, a corner grocery store, a 7-Eleven, a street vendor. They keep it very simple. What's the sales? How many dollars? What's the gross margin? What's the cost? Do I give somebody a credit or not? Do I build my image when I go to the beach that I treat the children very well and children go and tell their mom, you know, so-and-so was very nice to us. That's a brand. So yes, we guys do out. that, we hire the specialist advertising, right on so. But the difference is the street vendor running the whole business, very micro business. A grocery store guy running a micro store. In a large company like General Motors, Ford, Volkswagen, people have specialized. They have silos. We need experts. But not everybody is able to see the total those are the CEOs, CFOs, who are able to see the total picture. Because it's large scale and complexity. Those who want to learn this, read my book, What the CEO Wants You to Know. I wrote in 1998. First 50 pages will take you to a street vendor and then a Jack Welch of GE to compare that. Well, and uh, I'm sure people would love to, to read your book if they haven't already. And is there anywhere else they should think about looking for you? Or do you have a website or another way that they should? Yeah, website. I have 32 books. Every book is designed for practitioners. Everything I have in the book has been tested somewhere by some practitioner. There is no theory there. 
It's not for theoreticians. You can start any of those that are useful to you Monday morning. My latest book is Rethinking Competitive Advantage. And I have a fantastic book, Amazon Management System. How this company makes decisions to have this kind of value creation for the customer and for the shareholder at the same time. Oh, Ram, uh, you have given us a lot to think about, and I really appreciate you taking the time to walk through all this with us. I know our listeners will be eager to check out your books. Uh, and just thank you so much for being on uh, today's program. I am delighted, and I want everybody to learn something every day. That's a, that's a great way to live your life, and I'm sure I'm, I, I have a good feeling most of our listeners are doing that, but if they're not, this is a good kick in the butt to remember to go out and do it every day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank All you right. very much. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to today's show. Bye-bye. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 